Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. This is a Father's Day message. Even though we're going to go to Revelation chapter 21. Now our teaching notes that we have are available on the website. You can download those right now if you'd like at 400church.com. Uh, or you can scan the little QR code on your bulletin. That will give you a link to the teaching notes. Some of you like those and like to follow along with them or have them for a deeper study. I'm gonna read this from Revelation 21. And the message this morning is the sevenfold declaration of the Father. That's, the idea is it's over our lives. The sevenfold declaration. Now let's look at this. Revelation 21, beginning in verse five, he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write for these things are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I'll give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Father, we stand before you on this day as your children. We love you. We declare the worth and the glory of the Father from this place, from this house. We delight in the Father, and we delight in knowing you and drawing nearer to you. And we ask, Father, that you would draw near to us, that you would strengthen and encourage this spiritual family, that you would reveal the heart of the Father to us in a deeper way, that we could exemplify it ourselves and walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's a joy and an honor to share with you this morning and talk about the heart of the Father over us and how we all need to encounter the heart of the Father. My own father is sitting over here on the front row, Kirk Bennett. Dad, wave your hand. He's been my father my entire life. And he has done such an amazing job exemplifying the heart of the Father in our home. He's taught me so many incredible, valuable lessons. Just three quick points that stand out to me over the years that he taught us in our home was one, to hear the voice of the Lord. And he always urged us as kids, he just said, you have to hear the voice of God for yourself. You can't let someone else just hear the voice of God for you, but you can hear the voice of God. You need to hear it for yourself. And that is something that all of us kids took a hold of and now are walking out in our own way in our own families. He said to, he taught us how to honor our spouses and he honored us as children, which is amazing. And he would talk about the way that we as men and fathers needed to honor our wives. I remember dating my wife and him pulling me aside and coaching me on the side and being like, hey, you're being a little bit harsh with your, at the time we weren't married with Morgan, he's like, you're being a little bit harsh. You need to be a little bit more gentle with Morgan and with her heart and the way that you talk to her and her tone and your sarcasm and joking around and things like that. That just stuck with me. That was when I was 19 years old. He taught us to be generous 
and not to just be generous to people that we didn't know, but to be generous to our family members themselves. And he was always generous. He was always generous to my mom. He was always generous to us kids. And those things touched my heart and it just changed so much. Well, most Father's Day messages are kind of the time where we take the gloves off and just kind of smack each other around. There's lots of different Father's Day messages. Uh, there's a, this kind of well-known sitcom. I'm not gonna say what it is because someone will think that I'm endorsing it. But there's this well-known sitcom and it's this older father and he has two adult sons. And one of the sons, the older son, is in this state of just despondency and despair. He's just having a really hard time. He's just so down on himself. And this father's trying to get his son to like kind of wake up and snap out of it. And sometimes I feel like that's what the Father's Day messages, you know, typically are. And no, I have nothing against those messages because I think we do need to snap out of it. And so in this show, the father goes to the younger son. He's appealing to him. He's like, your brother is so despairing. He goes, you know, and he's like, you got to go over there. You got to help him. You got to get him to snap out of it. And the younger brother asks him, he says, well, what have you been doing to try and, you know, help him? He goes, well, I've been yelling in his face, snap out of it. And sometimes we need that. And sometimes we need a little kick in the pants. And then other times, you know, as fathers, so much of our brokenness and so many of the ways in which we come short is because we don't know and hear the voice of the Father over our own lives. And we as fathers, we can only give away what we have received from the Father. And I know many, many men that whose dads were not there, whose dads were not present, their fathers were not present in their life, and they're trying to love their children and they're trying to to walk with their children in a godly way and lead their home in a godly way, but there's so many pieces that are missing in their own lives that they find themselves coming up short repeatedly in their own lives. And that's why I think it's so important that we hear the voice of the Father over our lives as men so that we can have a secure foundation from which to orient our own lives as we walk out kingdom principles with our families. We'll look at the notes here if you're following along. Our desire is to see a threefold establishment of fathers in our midst. Number one, that there would be a personal establishment as we connect with the Father ourselves. The life and the ministry of Jesus himself repeatedly emphasized the revelation of the Father. And there was an impartation that was necessary through the life and ministry of Jesus, that the people, that humanity would understand the heart of the Father. Why? Because in John 17, 26, the second part, he says, I've declared to them your name, which is the Father's name, and I will declare it so that the same love that the Father has for me would be imparted into you, is what he's saying. I want that same love, that same joy, that same delight that I have to be imparted into you, and that's what the fathers in the natural must experience. They have to experience the impartation of the Father's heart toward them, our heavenly Father. And then from that place, we're able to orient ourselves and our lives and begin to give that away to the people that are around us. Number two, we wanna see fathers established in the home. We wanna see fathers relating to their children and their families with the heart of the heavenly father. 
And the vast majority of the view that a child has about God is shaped by their earthly father. It is a sobering reality. And if you think of this generation as being one of the most fatherless generations in terms of the presence of the father in a home, in this whole generation that's growing up, that's, you know, seven, eight, nine, 19, 20 years old now, What's gonna happen in society and culture in terms of the view of God 20 years from now when this fatherless generation grows up and then they are setting the predominant culture of society? And this, this idea that you know, the children's view of God is shaped by their earthly father, it's very sobering. And as a father, it's kind of like, you know, freaks me out. You can lay awake at night, you know, thinking about things like that. The way that I relate to my children is setting into them the way in which they will understand and relate to God. It's not the only way, but it is a powerful and profound way. So we wanna see fathers within the families that are raised up in this spiritual family to care for and shepherd their children and their homes. This verse in Ephesians 6 Verse four, it says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And what's interesting about this verse to me is that this phrase right here, bring them up, it's interestingly the same phrase that's used in the previous chapter about nourishing and cherishing a wife, to nourish them. He says, I actually want you to nourish your children in the training of God. And when I think of nourish, this is what I think of. In the home, it's making deposits into the lives of our children, much like you would fertilize soil or bring nourishment to foster growth and to foster strength. Making deposits in the life of our kids. Now, if you're like me, it's very easy to become frustrated as a father. I mean, things are crazy. Things are out of order. Nobody's listening to you. You know, I have five children in my home, so I've been there many, 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 many times. And it's very easy as a father to become very angry and frustrated when people aren't doing what they're asking them to do. We're all control freaks. Let's just admit that right now. And... In our homes, when we are bringing correction and discipline, when we're raising our voice or using a strict tone, we're actually making a withdrawal from the heart of our families and from our children. And the Lord wants us to make more deposits within the heart of our kids to nourish them than we would make withdrawals from them. Because just like a bank account, if you keep withdrawing, 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 but you never put something in, then you end up going into the red. You end up going into the negative, and that's where a child's heart and a, a person's heart becomes very discouraged and weighed down. They can become easily despondent. And as fathers, we have a way of easily crushing the hearts of our children when we're mostly making withdrawals from them rather than making deposits. And I did youth ministry for many years and, and I would meet with different fathers and, 
They would say, you know, I'm having such a hard time with my kids and they're not listening to me and they're acting out in rebellion and all these different things. And, I'd, and this is what I would always ask them. I would say, what are you doing to make deposits within the heart of your young person? And they were like, what do you mean make deposits? I'm like, well, do you guys spend time together where you're pouring into them and you're pouring into the currency of their heart and doing something that they enjoy? And they would Almost all of them would say, well, no, not really, or maybe once or twice a year or something like that. And this is actually so easy to do because as fathers, we want to spend time with our kids, but the way that we typically do it is trying to get our kids to do something that we're doing, like working out in the humidity in the yard. That's what I was making my son do yesterday. But that wasn't making a deposit into his heart because that wasn't meeting the currency of his heart and something, doing something that he would enjoy. And so if you as a dad are really into fishing and your kids hate fishing, guess what? Taking them fishing is not going to make a deposit in their heart. They're not going to want to do that because that doesn't move the currency of their soul. And so one of the things that we have to do as fathers and as families is figure out what is it that actually makes deposits into the bank account of our children's souls, and meeting them in that place, you know? For my four-year-old, that's playing a game called jail. I don't like the game called jail, but she's obsessed with it. I don't know why she's a princess, but she loves the game called jail that she made. And jail is I chase her around the house and capture her and put her on the sofa, and then she, and I put my arms like this across the sofa, and I'm like, now you're in jail. And then she escapes without me listening, and then I'm always confused. What? How did you get out of jail? And she thinks, ah, it's so funny, and then runs away, and then we just do that for hours and hours. She would just do that all day long, just the same exact thing. I don't particularly love that game. I want a game where I can sit there and not have to concentrate and not have to move or think or speak. I think that's called sleep anyways. Now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, my favorite game is sleep. Anyway, that's not the game that I particularly like, you know? I'm like, let's have a game where I can sit here and it's like, you know, I can barely think at all. But that doesn't make a deposit into her heart. And so I have to engage in things intentionally as a father to make deposits within the heart of my children. And when I do, their hearts come alive. And our relationship is strengthened and our relationship is restored. And it's amazing because it doesn't have to be so generous and extravagant and spending, you know, two or $300. If you find the currency of your children's heart and just begin to make small deposits within that, you will see the heart of your child turn toward you in such a significant and profound way. And one of the things, of the many things that I've learned as a dad and my wife and I have learned raising our children is that when they're acting out and when they're freaking out, typically our response of, of if we approach them in like discipline and correction, we're gonna sit down, we're gonna have a long talk about the way that you're acting or whatever, it doesn't yield as much fruit. And if we take a different approach of, okay, this child is acting out, they're clearly having a hard time, what can we do to make deposits in this child's heart that it will completely revolutionize them? 
And when we've had different issues with our children, you know, instead of, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da, and, and I'm not against discipline at all. We discipline our children. We spank them. Yes, I said that, and it's on the internet forever. I'm not against discipline at all, but I know that there is a currency of their soul, and when their bank account is filled, typically their actions will follow in a more amiable way. <laughs> And so sometimes, you know, with my kids, for example, I just go, okay, you're having a really hard time. Like, let's go out. And I take them out. We go have ice cream together and like run around at a park. And they come back and they're like beaming, you know? Anyways, try that. It really works. And the same is true, not just with our children, but with our spouses and with our friends. If you make deposits into people's lives, it will dramatically shift their heart. And that's what the heavenly father is doing to us, he's making deposits in us. Well, we wanna see number three in the body of Christ. We wanna see spiritual fathers raised up. And this is a cry that it just goes out over and over and over again. And every spiritual community is always asking for more spiritual fathers to be raised up. And it's essential that a spiritual family be led by spiritual fathers. And Paul highlighted something in the church of Corinth that's true of many churches, particularly in the West. Today, he says, you have 10,000 instructors. You have 10,000 people that are willing to sit down and tell you the rights and wrongs and do this and understand this and whatever. He says, but you don't have many fathers. And that's a very stinging indictment. And everybody likes to email that to their pastor and tell them that, you know, there's not enough spiritual fathers. And it's true. It really is true. But here's the thing. They never finish the verse when people bring this up. Because look what Paul says. Look at how Paul actually establishes and calls forth spiritual fathers within the spiritual family. He says, for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So if your spiritual father idea is not about begetting someone through the gospel, that means begetting them through a transformative process through the truths of God's word to come into a transformed place of being like Jesus, then it is not spiritual fathering. A lot of what people understand as spiritual fathering, in my opinion, is actually spiritual mothering. There's not a beginning process through the gospel and the truths of God's word unto transformation. And what people want typically is they want someone to sit down with them, you know, twice a month for coffee and just tell them their life is gonna be okay and that they need to live all their dreams. That's what people want in terms of spiritual fathering. And that's good, but it is not fully spiritual fathering. It's not the labor intensive engagement that Paul is talking about here. And I wanna challenge our men here to become spiritual fathers, to pour out their lives in such a way that the spiritual children are raised up in their calling through the gospel lens of Christ and his work and what he's called us to, so that they are begotten through the labor of prayer and time and love, and they are transformed into the very person of Christ. And we need to be very careful not to sentimentalize spiritual fathers, in my opinion. Paragraph B, all of these expressions flow 
from the essential foundation of receiving the love of God and receiving the heart of the Father. And we're gonna look at these seven declarations. We'll spend some time, uh, more time on some than others, okay? What is the setting of this? Because it starts in verse five, it says that he who sat on the throne, he declares these things. And now he's declaring them over all humanity, but in particular, he's declaring them over fathers, okay? And, and that's how I'm applying it today. So the setting of the one sitting on the throne, if we go back in the passage from chapter 21, Back to chapter 20, that's where we see the setting of the one on the throne that is declaring these truths. And when we look at it, it's he who sat on the great white throne of the ultimate judgment. And so these declarations are proceeding from the place of the heavenly father who's sitting on the final seat of authority and judgment at the great white throne. And it says that everything that was in heaven and earth, it fled from before him. It says from whose face the earth and all of heaven fled away. And what I think that means is that it means that every other argument, every other evaluation of our lives is not welcome when the Father takes his seat on his throne and begins to pronounce over our lives these particular declarations. It means that his authority is the sole authority. It means that his judgment and his evaluation of our life is the only one that matters and is the chief one that matters. And we'll see how that's important in just a few moments. Well, let's look at some of these declarations. I'm gonna start with the second one and make it the first one. God's words are trustworthy. That's the first one. Because he says this, right, for my words, they are true and faithful over your life. And we're to make known these truths the heart of the Father revealed to us as a top priority. He says, these are the true and faithful words over your life. He says, actually, matter of fact, my words are so true and faithful that when you as a father evaluate your own life, your words are not as true and not as faithful as mine. And the reason is because you don't have the full picture like I do. You tend to exaggerate the good things or exaggerate the bad things and you've actually created an obscure picture of your own life. But the father says, my words over you are faithful and true. And then he says, I want you to write these down. Why do we have to write them down? And every dad knows this. Because if you don't write down the shopping list to pick up extra sour cream down at Price Chopper, you will forget God knows the forgetfulness of his people and he knows the forgetfulness of fathers. And if he told us to write it down, it's because he, he knew that we would forget it and it's something that we must come back to again and again and again because we are prone to forget what the father has spoken over our lives. And as fathers... We must constantly 
come back to the word of God to see what the Father has spoken over us and our life, lest we wander from it and begin to believe lies and begin to exaggerate or begin to minimize or what it is. We must come back to what was written of the Father on that throne so that our lives are plumb-lined to the truth that is in his heart. Number two, he declares that all things are made new. All things are made new, and God can give us a new life and a new heart, and that's what he does through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gives us something new. He doesn't just rehabilitate us. He doesn't just give us some new tools. He doesn't just train us or give us some new skill. And we understand this as fathers, that we are so weak and so broken that we don't have power in and of ourselves to actually be different and exemplify the perfect heart of the heavenly father. But the father says over your life, I will make your life new. Not just rebuild it, not just repurpose it, but I will make it new. I was examining the deck on our house and it needed to be made new not just rebuilt. Now I was with my friend Eric, he's sitting right over there, and we're looking underneath the deck and we're examining the wood and we're examining you know, all of the railings and everything. And I was just like, you know, Eric, I think I'm gonna save some money here. I'm gonna buy some lumber. I'm gonna stick it up underneath there, kind of like jack up some posts, and I'm just gonna get the thickest, goopiest paint possible, and I'm just gonna spread it all over this deck. And he said to me, he said, you don't need to waste your money doing that. He said, you don't need a rebuilt deck. You need a new deck. But the problem with getting a new deck is the price, right? And the problem with getting a new life is the price. And you can't pay the price for a new life because all of your past and all of your failure and all the seasons where you've missed it and you've been you know, messed up with sin and darkness and evil, all of the price of that is too much for you to pay. And there's only one that can pay it for you. And his name is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus looks at the broken down, dilapidated deck of your life, he says, you can't afford a new deck, but I can. I can pay that your whole life would be made new, not just rebuilt, but entirely born again of the Spirit so that you are a new creation before God. And when God declares over your life, all things have become new, the shame of our past begins to break off. The condemnation begins to break off and we begin to live as fathers, not striving for a place of victory, but we begin to live as fathers from a place of victory. Do you follow? And the father declares over you that by the cross of Jesus, your life is made entirely new. The old has passed away. And God has given you a new heart and he's given you a new life and he's set you up in a place of victory so that you can rightly exemplify and walk out the heart of the father to your own family and to those that you'll come in contact with. 
Number three, the victory and blessing of God is ultimate and eternal. Because the Father declares in verse six, he says, he said to me, it is done. It is finished. And he doesn't just begin the process of rebuilding the so-called new deck of your life, but he actually completes the work. And the, what the Father is declaring here in verse six is the same exact thing that Jesus declares on the cross when he surrenders and gives up his spirit and he gives up his life. Why? So that you could have a new life. The cross of Jesus and faith in him for salvation brings an end to the war and the struggle, struggle of our failures. It brings an end to it. In a final way, he says, it's finished. He says, your, your evil works, your sinful nature, your heart that is broken and hardened, he says, it is finished. I will complete the work that is in you and I will complete the work that is over you. The struggle that we have for acceptance and for affirmation has ended because of the blood of Christ and because of the sacrifice of the cross. He has ended it. All of us, all men, not just fathers, all men want to know that they are accepted, that their work means something, that they're seen, that they're doing it. You're out there. You're killing it. We just want to hear God say that over your life. You're not a failure but you're killing it. I accept you and I love you and I rejoice over you and you're my beloved one. And that desire for acceptance is answered through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 1 verse six says that he has made us accepted in the beloved, fully established, fully placed into the heart of the Father as our beloved one, and he rejoices over us, and he loves us. It is finished. He finishes the struggle for the power to have power over sin. Because without the cross of Jesus, sin has power and influence over your life in a way that is irresistible. But when God washes you by his blood, and when he fills you with the Holy Spirit, and when he makes your life new, you now have the power to resist sin, sin and temptation and the evil one. You have the power to resist Satan himself. And it says that he will flee from you. Every Christian man has the power of God to resist sin. And if you are not a Christian man, that means that you do not have the power to resist sin. It is... It means that you do not have the power to overcome the temptation into lust and anger and rage and despair, and you are lost in a river, in a current with no oar, with no compass, with no way of redirecting your life or your passions or your emotions. But it is not true of the Father that is found in Jesus Christ. God has finished the reign of sin over your life. And he has caused you to become a slave of righteousness, not a slave of sin, to do the will of God. The father, number four, sees the whole picture of our lives. He says, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. What does that mean? It means that God sees the entire narrative of our life and that he doesn't evaluate our lives prematurely. Praise God. 
Because everybody knows that in the heat of a fight with your spouse, in the heat of an argument with your children, in the feelings of despair after you've sinned, you are ready to make an evaluation of your entire life in that very moment. And everyone is subject to this. Men, women, it doesn't matter who you are. Everyone is ready and able to make a premature evaluation of their life because of what just happened five minutes ago. And you have these thoughts of condemnation and despair. My life is a mistake and I'm such a failure. My whole life is a failure. I'm a terrible father. I'm a terrible husband. I'm so just worthless and miserable. You know, and these thoughts begin to come to us and the father says, he says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of your life. I see what you cannot see. I pronounce what you cannot pronounce and judgment and evaluation over your life isn't even in your mouth, it's in my mouth. And let me tell the story of your life because it is so easy to forget the works of righteousness and goodness that we do in secret, the small things that seem insignificant before the Lord, but the Father does not forget. Number five, I love this one. Number five, God the Father fulfills the longing of the heart of fathers. Not just fathers, but all of his people. He alone is the one that fulfills them. In verse six, he says, I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And every human being is thirsty for the river of pleasure that comes from God. And every human being is thirsty for the delight of pleasure and enjoyment. That's why we're so good at sinning. If there's one thing we're good at, it's sinning. Why? Because we all want pleasure and we're all made to experience delight and joy and pleasure. But we do it in a temporary way. Look at this. The deepest longings that God put in our human spirit will be totally and eternally fulfilled by the river of God. It speaks of the anointing of God that flows out of the Father to touch our lives in the deepest way to bring us satisfaction and longing so that we can experience pleasure. But the thing is, is that it's partial in this life. The pleasure and the, and the delight that we experience in this life is partial. And so many men feel a sense of angst on the inside because they feel unfulfilled. And they're walking around with this sense of emptiness and unfulfillment. But the Christian knows that our full fulfillment is not in this life, rather, but in the age to come. Let's look at this. I have this quote that's written here. All fathers wrestle with the pain of unfulfillment. All people do. And many seek to be fulfilled by their spouse or by their work or by their children. They want money to satisfy them. They want pleasure and comfort to satisfy them. They want sexual expression to satisfy them. 
But no matter how healthy those things are, it's still incomplete. Why? Because God alone is anointed to fulfill the fullest and deepest sense of pleasure and delight within the human heart. The world, apart from Christ, has no answer for this, has no answer for this sense of unfulfillment and longing. As the poet and naturalist Henry Thoreau pronounced, he said, the mass of men leave quiet lives of desperation. Quiet lives of desperation. But here's the thing. The Christian father is no mass of men because he has said yes to the narrow way that comes through Jesus. And rather than trying to fulfill and being angry about and being frustrated about that sense of inner desperation, rather we should acknowledge as men that this life is partial and that we will never be fulfill, completely fulfilled. Do you know that? Do you know that your spouse will never completely fulfill you? Many people don't know that. And maybe they're not even told that in their premarital counseling or whatever things they're listening to. But it is true. Your spouse, your family, your children, they will never fulfill completely the longing of your heart for acceptance and delight. Your work will never fulfill you because we were only meant to be fully satisfied by the river of God, by the anointing of the Father. And here's the good news today. There is a partial and great amount of pleasure and delight that the Father will release into your soul, even in this age. But the fullness comes in the age to come. The full amount of pleasure and joy and satisfaction in God comes, look at what Psalm 16 says, it comes when you are in the presence of the Father, and when you are at the right hand of God, because that's where there are pleasures forevermore. So men, I want you to make this uh, an agreement. Just come to this conclusion today in your own soul. That until you are in the presence, the immediate presence of the Father, and until you are at the right hand of God, experiencing pleasure, your amount of fulfillment and satisfaction in this life is limited. It just is. And I think we need to make peace with that because you're not gonna die if you're unfulfilled. Your unfulfillment can actually drive you deeper into the things of God and searching the true riches that come. But what happens is, is that men feel unfulfilled then they try and do the tools and, and get all the stuff right and get the, the, the finances managed right and successful and get the business going, get the marriage healthy, get the family healthy and all that. And they're still going, why am I still unfulfilled? And the reason is because until you are in the presence of your father who has the greatest anointing to fulfill the satisfaction and delight of your soul, you will feel, you will wrestle with a sense of unfulfillment. Just embrace it. Just understand that this life is a vapor. That Paul says in Romans 8, he says, the, the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be counted upon what's coming in the age to come, to paraphrase it. And when he talks about the sufferings, that word actually means ardent desire and passion. It's not just persecution. The sufferings of this life are not worthy to be counted. It's also the 
passions that we feel and the desire to be great and the desire to be fully satisfied, those things are not fully fulfilled in this life, in this age. Make peace with it because it will be a helpful perspective. Then you won't take it out on your spouse. Then you won't be embittered against your wife. Then you won't be embittered against your children. Why aren't you treating me with the honor I deserve? Why aren't you treating me with the respect I deserve? Why aren't you giving me all that I should get? Why aren't you fulfilling the deepest longings of my heart? It changes the game entirely when we accept that it's partial and in this age. Last two, just briefly, our life as fathers, they have meaning and continuity in the age to come. The little things that we do matter before God because the Lord wants to give us an inheritance in him and the age to come. The little ways in which we serve our spouses that no one sees, that they may not even see. The ways in which we bear long with our children. The way in which you go and play jail with your four-year-old when it doesn't immediately benefit your life. All of these small decisions of love and obedience and servanthood and sacrifice have continuity in the age to come. And the Father in his wisdom will pull back the veil and he'll show you the wisdom of how you walked in humility and a servant heart in this age. How you walked actually feeling incomplete. How you walked actually wrestling through your unfulfillment but not seeking to satisfy it with worldliness. He goes, I will show you in the age to come and you'll inherit all things. You will be vindicated. The last one, the father has the last word in vindicating his servants. When he condemns all those who are ungodly, it's actually a statement of approval of those that have chose the way of humility through the cross of Jesus Christ. The father oversees the sentencing and the reward of everyone. And all of our enemies, as fathers, Christian fathers, all of our enemies will be fully removed. And we will not battle with them any longer and we will not strive with them any longer. Those that have opposed us because of the gospel, those feelings of sin and darkness and shame and tears and pain and internal agony and withdrawal and apathy, all of those enemies will be shut out of the glorious presence of God and we will be with him forever and ever and ever, drinking from the fountain of his delight. Amen. Let's stand. Have the worship team come out. This morning, as fathers, maybe you needed to hear some of these declarations over your life. Maybe you resonated with one of these things. Maybe you've made premature evaluations about your own life as a father. Maybe you need to feel and believe that you are made new. Maybe you need to know that the, that son, the son, the Christ, has completed the work over your life and that it is done. Whatever it is, I want to invite you to take a moment as we respond before the Lord. We'll have the worship team begin playing here as we wait on the Lord. Father, our heavenly Father, we ask you in the name of your Son that you would declare the words of the heavenly Father over us. 
that you would call us forth as men and as fathers in all these different spheres of our lives, that you would call us forth, that you would give us a fresh sense of confidence and an understanding, Lord, that you accept us and delight in us because of the work of your son upon the cross and that we would rise up and that we would exemplify the heart of the Father to those that are in our lives, that we would show forth your generosity, that we would show forth your tenderness and your compassion, that we would not be quick to speak and hasty in our words and prone to anger and despondent in our lust and in our despair and just shutting everything out as we just wallow in our own self-pity. Lord, we ask that you would draw us out, that the words of the Father would draw us out, draw us out, and draw us in to your plans and your purposes. I ask for fathers to rise up in their homes, to take their place of authority in their homes, to not relegate the spiritual life of their family to their wives, that they would rise up, that they would begin to pray earnestly, that they would begin to speak the words of the gospel in gentleness. They would call forth their children into their greatness. They would call forth their wives into their greatness, that they would go the lowest to serve the most from their place of authority within their own homes. I ask you, Father, that you would raise up spiritual fathers in our midst that would get a burning vision to disciple the next generation, to pour into them, to see them, Lord, formed and shaped into the image of your Son. I ask, Lord, that you would break off the spirit of condemnation and shame that tries to silence the voice of fathers and the voice of men in this generation. I ask you, Lord, that the voice of the accuser would be broken, that the voice of condemnation would be broken, and that you would fill our minds as fathers. You would fill our minds and hearts with the truth of God's word. Write these things down, for they are faithful and true. That's what you said. We love you, Lord. Let's just take a minute, and as the worship team just begins to worship, I want to ask you, if you would, just begin to have a conversation with the Father in your own heart. I'm talking to fathers specifically. Just begin to have a conversation with the Father. Just say, Father, what do you say over me? What do you feel over me today? Here I am, Lord. Help me. I need to hear your words.
we would be found faithful to walk out all you've laid before us. But in your strength, with your help, do something new in this generation, God. presence, Father, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Everything we need is right here with you. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Joy and delight in your presence. Oh, would you pour it out? Before we can give joy, pour it out, pour it out, Father. Father. It comes from you and you alone, our satisfaction. You alone are our satisfaction. It's found in you and only you. Oh, let fathers be satisfied. Let your presence come. Touch my heart with your presence, Lord. It only comes from you, Lord. That river of delight comes from your throne. 